update, ginger guy. So we are deep in food terrorism. And it doesn't seem to be stopping. The fact that people are getting arrested, the fact that people are being sued by companies, the fact that there has not been a, a, a popular outcome. Because what I mean by popular is, of course, people are filming these things. They're getting on the internet. And the only reason you put stuff on the internet is because you want to be popular. That's, you know, social points is what you're going for. You maybe get it for a little bit, but then it disappears when you end up going to prison, which is what happened to the ginger guy. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy in a beef bowl restaurant, and they have communal ginger, and he was eating the ginger right out of the ginger bowl, and he was like putting his dirty chopsticks back in it. They filmed it. They put it on the internet. Internet goes crazy. He gets in trouble. He gets arrested. Okay. The question was, for me, always, what is the actual punishment for these crimes. Kids in Japan basically don't go to jail. So now that it's an adult, he could actually get punished. He's actually responsible for his actions. The problem was this guy was arrested on multiple counts and they were all stuck together. So he got two years and four months and had to pay a 200,000 yen fine. But those charges included growing marijuana for personal use or distribution drug offenses he got arrested for growing marijuana it's a drug offense that is way way more serious than eating ginger out of a communal thing so that's a problem because how much of the punishment is growing marijuana which is an incredibly serious crime in japan and how much of it is for weird public harassment uh chasing internet clout just being gross i mean that's what we're talking about my guess is that the two years is for growing marijuana. The four months is tacked on for the ginger crime. Maybe even the 200,000 yen. The interesting part, this was the more interesting part to me, which is why this became a worthwhile follow-up to the story. The guy who filmed his friend eating the ginger was fined 300,000 yen. So I think that is a fair view of the punishment. So I think jail time for doing something gross in public is a lot. A fine seems appropriate. The fine can be very big. I think big fines are good things. But it's very hard. I'm not a judge. And Japanese law is a bit hard to, you know, work your way through. Uh, it's got a lot of rules and stuff. It has a lot of considerations that I will not understand. But filming someone committing the, sh the, the food terrorism, which is what this has been dubbed, is a 300,000 yen fine. So I think that's actually showing you how seriously they are taking it because the companies now are going to follow up. Now that they have a guilty charge, they know that this guy is guilty. If they take him to, cart and take him to court and they sue him, they have a much better case. And I think, interestingly, the punishing the cameraman to me is an interesting tactic because you're punishing not the person committing the crime, you're punishing the person who videoed the crime who essentially made it popular. So what you're kind of doing is like, okay, these guys want to do gross things. Something I've said on Ninja News Japan probably a thousand times now to the point where it's like almost not worth repeating, but I have to because it f flows into the thoughts that we have is don't film it and put it on the internet. Now, the crime still may occur and there still may be these things happening, but if the popularity that momentary fame is taken away from this sushi terrorism, from the food terrorism that's happening. 
there's going to be less incentive to do it. So if you punish the people who are filming it and they're like, well, dude, I'm not going to film that. I'm not going to put it on the internet. Then there's less incentives for you to do it in the first place. And I think that's an interesting way to maybe attack this issue is attack the goal because the goal is the clout, the popularity. If you can take that away so that people like it to get, I don't want to film this. I don't want to spend 300,000 yen to film a, a, a 30 second TikTok of you eating stuff that you shouldn't be eating. That in itself is pretty interesting take on how to get a handle on this because this is a thing that's uh, not going away. That said, <laughs> it happened like immediately right after. It's almost like the crime happens, the punishment comes out, and then like a week later, it, it's teenagers mostly, right? This guy, this guy who was just arrested, he was in his 20s. He was an adult. But mostly it's teenagers, and I, there's a whole thing I learned here. So let's get to the second story. Oh, let's do a transition sound completely unnecessary uh it's just to help me stay organized uh this is the second story but it is the exact same thing it is the food terrorism and i didn't know this had been going on for as long as it had i learned about it the main instance was sushi terrorism but it was probably because it became such a big story because sushiro the kaiten sushi restaurant sued like a 15 year old kid's mom I forget, it was like a billion yen. It was some ridiculous number. But they were just out to prove a point. But kids are kids. I I have trouble remembering when I was a teenager. I know I was stupid. I was stupid into my mid-20s. Easy. Maybe even late. I, what am I talking about? I might be dumb now and just not realize it. That's the problem with being dumb. These kids, I, I guess they're not reading the news. They don't know these things are happening. I don't know. Or they do and they think they're going to get away with it. That's a very youthful bravado kind of thing. But there's a Domino's an Amagasaki, and a worker at 2 o'clock in the morning with his friend, they're goofing around, he's kneading dough. And they're talking back and forth, and he picks his nose, and he wipes it on the dough, and he carps kneading it. And they laugh and laugh and laugh. They filmed it. Now, these are not intended to go on the internet, apparently. These are intended to be shared among friends, but shared among friends, and then one of the friends is like, hey, this will get me internet clout, the only logical thing for me to do would be to post it on the internet. It gets super famous. Domino's reacted so quickly. So this dough that it had snot wiped on it was still in the fermentation process. It wasn't actually finished. They found the restaurant. They found the dough. They disposed of it. They closed the restaurant. They sanitized the entire place before 24 hours was even done. So this thing hit the internet. It started to gain just the smallest iota of popularity. And Domino's was like in crackdown mode. They probably have the Domino's SWAT team. You know how they get their pizza to you in 30 minutes. They're going to get to the store where the food terrorism happens in 10. I mean, that seems like what's really going to happen. I am now imagining there's the, de there's the Domino's headquarters. It's got all these monitors everywhere. And then like an alarm goes off and they just dispatch the Domino's sanitization SWAT team uh, to go. And I, those kids are fired. I mean, again, I don't know about criminal charges. They are talking. Domino's did mention that criminal charges are possible, but criminal charges, as I said in the last bit, criminal charges towards teenagers in Japan doesn't really do that much. So we know that no one ate that pizza. Now, if you've eaten fast food, there's the logic part of my brain. And then there's the emotional part of my brain. The logic part of my brain is saying, that if the snot was in the dough and the dough was cooked at a billion degrees or whatever it is to make pizza dough, nothing's going to survive in that. 
like it wouldn't actually be that bad. So logically speaking, no harm would come to you because it was pre before it was cooked. Doing it after it was cooked is somehow grosser because you're eating the actual body bodily fluid that came out of the person. But once you cook it, it's all dead. The emotional part of me responds like everyone else does. It's like, I do not want to eat snot pizza. So what I learned from looking at several articles in Soda News 24, big Japanese website, uh, they actually did a little bit of a breakdown. So this actually goes back to 2013. It's like a decade ago. And they have Bakater. So it's Baka, which means stupid, and Tur, which is Twitter. So Baka Twitter. So stupid Twitter. And it's filming yourself doing dumb things and putting it on Twitter. Twitter was 2013, the biggest website in Japan. And they're also calling it Baito Terrorism. Baito is Japanese for part-time job. So Baito Terrorism. So we have food terrorism, Baito Terrorism, but this all seems to have evolved from Bakater. And it's kids filming dumb shit at work. And I actually remember seeing this pre-pandemic and it was a part-time kid in a convenience store at night and it was super hot and he got in the cooler where they keep the ice cream and you just lay on top of the ice cream very technically all the ice cream in there was in packages and he was wearing his clothes and whatnot so nothing actually touched anything but it is gross conceptually again the logic part of my brain kicks in and goes well you know there's probably a ton of rat poop on that anyways because it was all in transit at some point and rats are everywhere um you should wipe the top of a drink can or bottle before you put it to your mouth if you're ever going to drink straight out of the bottle that kind of stuff because there probably is rat feces on it that's your ninja news japan thought for today there's probably rat feces on it i think i just came up with a new t-shirt i mean the chuck mcbeef chest academy of martial arts t-shirt it's a bestseller uh, everyone loves it who gets it but you know i need to expand my repertoire maybe i need to take more of my classic phrases and turn them into t-shirts like there's probably rat feces on it and just say that. <laughs> just something you should keep in mind at all the time. It's probably rat feces on it. So the trend seems to have really hit in 2013. So kids saw other kids doing stupid shit in their part-time jobs. And they would do something similar. But there was a trend that it happened in January and February. And there are theories as to why. So there are some nice theories on Soda News 24. I don't want to like uh, just steal their content. So this isn't my idea. But it was pretty interesting because... January, February is when you've hit sort of the stressful exam time in Japan. So maybe this is a weird way of kids trying to alleviate their stress or they've just hit this point of stress where they're just, their brain shuts down and they start doing stupid stuff. I don't know. It's interesting though. There is a trend of an increase of kids doing dumb shit at their part-time jobs in January, February. So if you have a theory, I mean, I'd love to hear it. Send an email to chunkmanbeefchest at gmail.com or speakpipe.com slash chunkmanbeefchest and tell me your thoughts on why you think teens in January and February do dumb shit at their part-time jobs. There's a, a street vendor in Asakusa. and He's been out in the street for 15 years selling soda. They call rumne. It's like a, it's like a very, very sugary ginger ale, I guess, soda. I don't like it. It's actually too sweet for me. I like sweet things, and it's too sweet for me. The thing is, this is also a member of the Yanaya Yakuza family, and apparently a fairly high-ranking member at that. So there's a lot of questions there already. Like, your, my image of Yakuza comes from the Yakuza video game series more than anything else. It used to be Yakuza movies, uh, and then the Yakuza video game series took over in my mind as to how Yakuza's live their life. 
basically you don't open a door, you only kick open doors. There was someone else came out on the same street where he was selling his sodas. And it was a guy dressed as a ninja and he was giving out flyers for a ninja experience. Now, let me tell you, I went to Iga Castle and I took my mom when she visited Japan. And they had, Iga is famously where ninjas are supposed to come from. I learned that ninjas always sleep on their left side to be able to protect their heart, which weirdly makes sense, but also doesn't make any sense at all. Because if your head's exposed and you're lying down, I'm not going to attack your heart. I'm going to attack your head. But still, they slept on the left sides. And they didn't wear black. They wore navy blue because that blends in better in the evening night. Uh, there was also a thing where you got throwing stars and you threw it at a target. If you hit the, hit the target three times, uh, you won a T-shirt. Now, let me tell you, your good friend, Chuck McBeef Chest, he threw those three throwing stars and he hit that target three times and he won that T-shirt and it was too small. That is the second T-shirt I've won in Japan. <laughs> They don't have uh, big boy sizes in Japan. That's that's pretty much a given. Uh, I was at a bar with a friend, and they had a thing, and it was this Apple Jack Daniels, maybe. It was Apple whiskey of some sort, which is already pretty bad. But if you bought one, you got a, like a lottery ticket. So you pulled it out of this like box, and if you got the thing, you want a, an, a Jack Daniels Apple whiskey T-shirt. And something in my brain clicked. And I, because I bought one, I actually was interested. What does this taste like? So I bought it. Well, it wasn't bad. But again, too sweet, weirdly. So then I said to the waitress the next time she came to the table, I said, Can you promise me there really is a winning card in that box? She said, Yes, we have three t shirts in the back right now that I know of. There are probably more. So I said, Fine. Please continue to bring me drinks until I win. And I don't remember how many drinks I had. It was a lot. Like we're in excess of six or seven easily because I was drunk like real drunk like proper drunk and I won the t-shirt and it was a very nice t-shirt and it was also way too small so that's two t-shirts I've taken the time to win in Japan and two t-shirts that I've won that are too small not what we're talking about uh, what I am saying though is if you have the opportunity to go to the ninja experience in Iga Castle you should do it my mom really enjoyed the ninja castle experience you go through this little house has ninja doors and stuff I'm doing like tourist services for Ega, man. Ega maybe want to drop a coin this way. Just just putting that out there as well. I don't really do free advertising. And then they put on a little show. So you go through the house and they show you like the trick floors and the trick this and the trick that. Uh, and then they and then they um, do a little show with some guys who do some martial arts and stuff, which was quite fun. My mother really enjoyed it. I actually really got talking to the guy next to me who actually worked for like a news company. We had a really great chat about like, would this be good TV or not? The irony being that he clearly thought this was not going to be good TV, but he was going to film it anyways. Which does directly express my feeling of most Japanese television. So we're back on the street. We got this guy, he's dressed like a ninja, and he's giving out flyers for a ninja experience. We got this Yakuza has been selling ginger ale for 15 years on the street, and no one can figure out why he's supposed to be a high-level Yakuza. The quality of Yakuza and the drama therein has dropped significantly Is this if this is how these guys are spending their days. 15 years on the street selling soda is not the life I would imagine for a high-level Yakuza. It's not sitting in, like, gold cars with, like, three women draped off you who loathe you, but, you know, they're too afraid to, to get away from you, that kind of thing. You know, movie stuff. I actually would prefer a honest and loving relationship. Just want to put that out there. 
Chop my beef chest of Ninja New Japan. He's not into oppressive relationships. He's into a open, honest, mutual relationships. Don't know where I am right now. I'll be honest. The Yakuza walks up to him and he does a very, very Yakuza thing. He says, if you're going to give out flyers on my street, you're going to have to give me 10,000 yen a month or get the fuck out. No one really knows what happened. If the guy actually paid any money and stuff, eventually the intimidation tactics, the extortion got back to the police. The police come out and arrest this guy. The reason this blew up on the internet in Japan was that he was calling the ninja ninja kun. Kun is what you would call, like, so if I was a teacher and I go into a classroom and, and I talk to the kids, there's, you probably know Chan. So like Lucy Chan would be Lucy as a young girl. Kun is for boys. So he calls him Ninja Kun. <laughs> so he's talking like this, a lower status person in society, which was pretty funny. But the guy's in his 60s, so probably the guy who was the ninja, dressed up as the ninja, was actually probably younger. Fair enough. On February 8th, he was arrested for extortion, which is a very Yakuza thing to be arrested for. So I'm very, I'm happy that that's at least consistent with my image of Yakuza. His defense was, I was just giving him a warning because he was being impolite. Now, that to me is Yakuza code for I told him to give me money or I'd break his bones. But also, it's also a pretty weak defense. Like, you shouldn't really be telling other people how to live their lives. And uh, I bet the 10,000 yen, if you want to stay on this street, was something that came out of your mouth. But that's, again, that's a bias on my part. And I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want to, like, sully his reputation. Problem is, if you remember last week, we talked about Yakuza apartments. So was the guy who was on the poster next to the guy who had died, um, who had people have been looking for him since the 70s. That guy in the poster was found at a Yakuza apartment. Yakuza owned apartments. Now the police have, since they've arrested this guy, they have a reason to go into where he lives, which may be one of these apartments or maybe a house, and then get information about other places Yakuza. So if he's a high-level guy, he has information about other Yakuza stuff. That leads the cops on this sort of network they can go through, which could cause a huge amount of problems for that Yakuza family. Over 10,000 yen from a ninja they just could have just left alone. I suppose I do this all the time. I finish the story, I hit the transition sound, and then I have a thought while the transition sound goes on. That isn't how crime thinks. Crime isn't thinking, this isn't worth 10,000 yen. Crime is thinking, this is 10,000 yen I could get for doing nothing. Which is what extortion is. It's getting money for nothing. Yeah, I don't think like a criminal. That's maybe the problem. Maybe why I haven't, you know, really, my criminal empire hasn't really taken off, is I just don't think like a criminal. I don't think like, hey, let's abuse the people around me and get money for nothing and cheat and lie. God, maybe I have, I have not done this right. Is that how I ended up podcasting? A 64-year-old woman had been making fake designer brand bags for the last few years uh, by hand. So she had started her own shop. She was making bags of her own design, and they weren't selling very well. And she saw some news, and she saw some really popular bags, and some were similar enough. She's like, I think I could make that. So she made it. She made Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, and she would sell them for about 3,500 yen. And what she was doing in some cases, she was trying to copy the bag. And in other cases, she was making her own original bag and putting like a logo on it. I found this interesting because I was like, I bet her handmade bags were of the same, if not better quality than the actual brand bags that people were buying. And she was only charging 3,500 yen. Unfortunately, that is illegal. So you can't do that. 
the police searched her shop and they found 330 bags ready for sale. So she just basically made a couple bags every day, all day, every day, I guess. And then she was selling them in her store. I don't know. I, I, that The thing that struck out to me, there's not really much else to say. This lady was basically hand making bags, but I was like, if you can hand make a bag, man, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I kind of had this weird respect for the lady's ability to make a bag that was of the same quality as a Chanel bag, if not better, because she just bought, bought the materials. She's like, what are those made of? She bought similar materials online and then made those bags. And I was like, man, I wonder if her bags were good. That was a pretty shit story. I didn't have anything to say about it. I just did it again. Hit the transition sound and then finished my thought. It's an interesting story, but I didn't have anything to say about it. Because I, I should actually, if I could have got it early, I'm not going to find out about it until she gets arrested. But I kind of want to buy one of her bags now and just see the quality of the bag. The prison inmate was not allowed to wear his glasses because they were one millimeter over the size limit. And he was without his glasses for two months. That doesn't sound too bad, not having your glasses, though. He had trouble going up and down stairs because he couldn't see the stairs. So his eyesight was terrible. And he was wearing uh, glasses. It sounds like they were blacked out, like basically dark lenses. He might have had a light sensitivity thing. Who knows? But he was like, he had trouble walking around without his glasses. And they said the the frames were one millimeter too thick. So I don't know what they meant. Like the arm of the eyeglasses were too thick or they were too big. Uh, I guess the reason I, I try to figure out the reasons for this. I guess the reason is because the arm of the glasses could be like shaved down into a shiv, depending on what they are. Mine are made of plastic. So I would do that. And it just still would just bounce off people. I don't think I can make it sharp enough to actually shiv someone, but they took away his glasses and didn't give him anything else. So he's just basically blind for two months. The Bar Association in Japan is claiming that taking away his glasses is a human rights violation, which I think is probably pretty accurate. Because you're basically saying like, hey, you could see, but we're going to take away the thing you see with uh, because we're annoyed. And this is it. This shows more the actual reason why they took away his glasses. Because the prison complained that his glasses were arousing the curiosity of others. So again, because he was allowed to wear these what sounds like sunglasses all the time, other people in the prison are like, hey, why can't I wear sunglasses and look cool while I'm in prison? Hey, why does that guy get those weird glasses on? Hey, how come my glasses are just regular glasses and that guy has special glasses? And the guards had difficulty confirming eye contact. So because he's wearing darkened glasses, they can't tell if he's actually looking at them when they're talking to him. So he might be being disrespectful. We don't know. So I think this is where we see the actual reason they wanted to take away his glasses because they're like, I don't think that guy's paying attention when I'm speaking to him. I think he thinks he's too cool. I think we take away his glasses and we make him blind and we treat him like shit for a couple months. And then he'll learn some respect because this is all about respect. He was unable to read, and he could not go up and down stairs very well. He is in prison. I don't know what he did, but yeah, I think if you're in prison and you wear glasses, you should be allowed to wear your glasses. Okay, so we get to a new porn law introduced in Japan. And this was very interesting because it was uh, stringent enough that porn stars were out on the streets protesting. And they say if it goes through, the Japanese adult videos will disappear forever. Like the industry will just die. 
I found this interesting on a conceptual level. Let's say you agree with the stars that this law is unfair, but like I'm not in the porn industry and I live a very normal life. So it would be very difficult for me to go out and lend my voice to the porn industry because then people would then say like, well, Chung Beef Chest is a big horn dog. The rule itself was interesting because there's one of the directors started speaking up on it. He was, of course, in the public uh, protesting, saying like, this is my livelihood. You're actually attacking my livelihood. And he said, I think it's good for girls filming for the first time, but not for those who make adult videos for a living. And I actually agree. He seems like a very reasonable guy, the guy, this director who's talking. He is saying it violates the freedom of business that is in the Constitution. The director says it has some good points, but too many hindrances. So what this is designed to do is I am going to do my first adult video. I sign the contract. There has to be a one-month waiting period before we actually film the video. So I'm sitting down with you. We're doing the contract negotiation. I say, yes, I will take this much money and I will put my very attractive sexual body uh, on screen for you, which I know is what everyone wants at the end of the day. Let's go. And you go, no, no, we have to wait for one month. So I have essentially one month to change my mind and back out of the contract. Then after we film the video, of course, it has to go through editing and whatnot. It doesn't need too much CG for me because I actually know you'd have to like really tone down the whites. <laughs> My bare skin would probably blow out the cameras. So we're going to have to film it in complete darkness and uh, my body will light up. It'd be like watching luminescent jellyfish have sex would be very similar to the experience of having sex with me. And motion wise, like the very, I assume very floppy. What am I doing? I'm insulting my own sexual prowess. <laughs> I feel bad about making fun of myself now. Um, so we filmed it. We've edited it. It's ready to go. There has to be another four-month waiting period. That means from the date you sign the contract to the actual release of the video is going to be between, going to be between five to six months. And that is also that this person who's doing their first video for the first time can back out, which I actually agree with the director. I think if this is your first time, you seem very excited about it. Your circumstances are such. Circumstances change. You're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I think having the ability to back out is a really good idea. Japan also has the law that after X amount of years, you have to re-sign with the star to keep the video out. So the star, like let's say I did a porn five years ago, and I don't want that in my life anymore I don't renew that contract. You have to take all that stuff down from the internet. Now there's going to be clips and stuff, but basically it becomes harder to get. And that part of my life, maybe not erased, but is greatly diminished. You're far, far less likely to find out that I made this porn video in the past. So I actually think these protections for people starting out and for people who've retired from that industry are a really good thing. But I also think he is right in that putting this much hindrance, like a six-month period between contract and final production and release is problematic for people who actually make this as their livelihood. And so they need to continue to produce content to be able to make the money. The other danger is that this goes into place and then people, instead of doing it through the proper channels, start to go to underground, start to do things illegally, start to do things which therefore immediately become less safe. I actually agree with this director. I think this should be in place for first-timers. I do actually agree with that. But once you've done two or three videos, then there's no need to have all these sort of roadblocks in place. I, I was thinking about like, 
who's going to stand up for them? Because this is about fair treatment. And to stand up for porn stars, you are then connecting yourself with porn stars, which no politician wants to do. And that's where the problem is going to arise. And that's a certain amount of bravery because we know about the proliferation of pornographic material on the internet. So we know there's more than like three people watching it. We know there's a lot of people who watch it. There's, we know the statistics. So I think the fair representation there actually needs to happen. But I don't think there's ever going to be a politician in place who's actually going to have the balls to do it because it immediately puts you on this position where, well, if you support porn, then you're a dirty, dirty person who does dirty, dirty things, ruins your reputation. They're in a really tough spot. Um, but I will actually stay up because, I mean, stay up. <laughs> I actually follow up on this story primarily because I'm always interested in new rules and how they go into effect. It's funny. I love the dirty, dirty stories, but I never love the dirty, dirty aspect of them. Like the actual porn part's not the interesting part to me. It's the contract negotiations. It's the production. Uh, it's the rules in place. It's the things that have to happen before and after is the stuff I actually care about. Um, I'm really interested in the complicated contract negotiations that go into Japanese productions and productions all over the world. Uh, movie contracts and stuff are all fascinating. You should look them up and make yourself a more informed person. I have just got lost at that last part. 